I'm just going to jump right into this. I have uh, a lot of content, so I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to direct it so that it's not too much all at once. But I just started just seeking the Lord um, as a continuation of what I was seeking Him last week and began to share. I just want to continue right on. This will be part two. If you weren't here last week, you can go ahead and listen to part one on the podcast. You can go on to NNC.Faith or you can go uh, into SoundCloud or into iTunes and look for uh, No Name Church and listen to last week, which is A Heart After God. And this is part two. And I just want to just start it right with this verse, as I read last week in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, But God removed Saul and replaced, and everybody say, he removed and he replaced. Removed Saul, and Saul just quickly is really, if you look at the Bible and you look at characters and the person, but all as he was a person and so was David, but as a theme, as an idea, Saul is really the picture of the soul and of the flesh and of our own strength. Everybody say my own strength. And David is the picture of Christ. David is a picture of God's will be done. Amen. So we have a picture here in the Bible of flesh and soul and my strength, me doing it, me trying to work it out. I'll help God be God. Who knows that God doesn't need help, any help being God? <laughs> but who tries to help him all the time? We want to help him. You know, we even try to help God do good things. We try to help God do good things. God doesn't need our help to be God. God just needs us to be in his will. If we are aligned with his will, if we are like David in God's will, representing God's will out from us, then good will come. But we can't do good to try to show God. We just need to do God. We just need to show God. We need to be aligned with God and let God come out of us in the way that he's asked us. And I don't want to re-preach last week, but we just saw quickly that Saul did things his own way. He assumed, everybody say assumed. He assumed that he could do things his own way that were close to God. We can do things that are similar to God, things that are close to God. I was trying to remember, but I didn't want to waste my prayer time to go look it up. But I've heard about this church in Australia that what they did is they liked the concept of church and they liked the concept of praise and worship and people talking and gathering and being together. They just didn't like God. And again, I don't remember the, the name and I just didn't want to waste the time, but I do know the story. And so basically, it's extremely popular. It has thousands of people that come every week on a weekly basis as if you're going to church, but it's just, they sing songs, happy songs, they gather together, they eat together and hang out together, just like you would at church, but just know God, just to encourage each other. And the thing is, is why that is so powerful of a, a, a reminder for us is that we can't, do think, we can't do something like God. We can't do something like church. We can't do similar. We can't do close. Close enough is not close enough. This is not horseshoes. You don't get points for being close. <laughs> God's way is God's way. And I really feel compelled, especially as we're ending the, the year, as we're ending 2018, going into 2019, the word of the Lord for this coming year is my way. It's got to be my way. God has a way and it's his way is his way. And I just started to allude to it last week. And I just want to say this again, and then hopefully I paint the picture in today's sermon. But I'm going to say it as a statement this way. If I get into other things, I need to have said it. God's way is your protection. God's word is a protection. God put his word, penned it down, and made it so that we would never forget it as a protection. When we bypass his word, there, are, of course, there are deeper things that we could get into. Eternity. I'm not going to talk to you about eternity today. We know that that comes only through one way, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through our repentance of sin, 
Through our lining up with him, giving him our heart, laying it all down at the altar, he takes our life, takes the old junk, takes all the old baggage, washes it away, and welcomes us into eternity through Christ. That is the only way. But I don't want you to, uh, I don't want to preach about eternity. I want to preach about what Jesus, his purpose was for your life to continue on this earth. If it was just about eternity, then as soon as we believe, he just would snap his fingers, okay, they believe, okay, now they believe, now they believe, now they believe, now they believe, and just take us to heaven. But we have this continuation of life. Hopefully, we've come to him as young children, but no matter what your age is, even an old man in his deathbed can come to Christ, and we thank the Lord for his grace and mercy. But there's this gap of time between salvation and the physical death. And it is so that we can get to know God. And then the second thing is that we can then reflect God. We need to know him and reflect him. And it cannot be close. We can't know about God. We must know him. We must know him. And then if we know him, our reflection will be of the real Jesus, not a Jesus we've made up in our minds. It is so easy to make up Jesus. It is so easy to make up church any way we see fit. We can make up God in any way we want. And I was just starting to meditate on this thought that... We can't assume that it's all good just because things are okay in our lives. The world, I was just telling someone, when they have successes and when they have a facade of happiness and they're doing things and going places and so on and just living life without God, they're assuming or they don't want to know They don't want to be told. They don't want to hear about it because it's all good, baby. And they live in this place without God. And then what happens? I said I I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this, but it is the Holy Spirit. What happens the moment something bad happens? Why would God let this happen? They didn't care what God's opinion was in their successes and in their running around living for themselves in the world. But as soon as something bad happens, God did this. We need to know God. We need to know God in, in, in the good times and the bad times. And, and we need to have his heart. It says that he replaced Saul and replaced him with David, a man after my own heart. He will do my will. Everybody say, David did the Lord's will. David is a picture of Jesus Christ. Saul is a picture of us, the failure. He is a, there, there were real characters, there were real people, but Saul's a picture of flesh. It's our lives before Christ. And Jesus made a way. He replaced the flesh, replaced the self, doing in our own strength with a better way, God's heart. Amen. And just quickly, it says... It says that God looks at the heart in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when Samuel went to go find David, as he was instructed, he told him, don't judge, don't look, don't try to find the guy that I'm calling by his appearance or his stature, his height, for I'm looking at things differently. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Everybody say, the Lord doesn't see things the way we do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The world looks, the world judges, the world's got their opinion. And when we get saved, when we come into Christ, We must be careful as Christians that we don't bring our worldly flesh, right? We talk about this a lot. 
and this won't be the last time that we'll talk about this, but we don't bring those old ways, old thoughts, old patterns into our faith. And one of the things that we did in the world and we must not bring in is that we see things the way we see them, but the Lord doesn't. The Lord is a heart guy. God is a heart guy. He's looking at the heart. We cannot fake it. (laughs) We cannot uh, lie to God. God sees it all. Um, And I'm just bouncing around a little bit because I'm trying to establish some things here. But he looks at the heart. We don't look the way he does, but we can. We can. We can see things the way he does. We can get his heart. And this is how. It says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But the Lord searches. The Lord searches all hearts and he examines secret motives. The Lord searches the heart. He examines the motives. I just wanted to establish today that we are not Saul. We do not do things our own way. We are a people that ask the Lord, what is your will? Lord, what do you want in my life and through my life? I've said this many times and I feel compelled to say it again. Jesus is not a drive through When we're starving, the quickest food you can get is a drive through <laughs> Will Jesus meet you in that moment? Of course he will. I just, I want to say this because this needs to be said. Jesus loves you so much. No matter how you come to him, he still loves you. His grace and his mercy goes so far beyond our understanding. It goes beyond time. It goes beyond your faults that you have done or will do. His love and his grace and mercy is so powerful. It's so amazing. And uh, that needs to be said and needs to be known. But, everybody say but. Even though Jesus will meet you in the drive-thru, what happens if you live on drive-thrus? Okay, will Jesus meet you? Of course he will. Will he stop loving you? Of course not. But your body won't be healthy. Your spiritual body won't be healthy. If we're just dipping into Jesus when it's convenient and only when we're starving, we're not going to be healthy. But he's looking for the person that is after him all the time, a heart after God. And I just wanted to go a couple of places. What does it mean to have a heart after God? Well, it said one key word. We saw quickly last week that the antonym Saul was that he didn't do God's will. That was simple. He just didn't do what God asked him to do. And he did something close, did something similar. But it says in Acts, when it's reviewing the story of David, that he was a man that would do what I told him. To be just the simplest definition, a heart after God is a heart that does what God says. I think many times as believers, we assume we're doing what God's asked us to do. Isn't that true? We assume. So many times I'm actually, I've even talked to, um, even talked to believers that have been believers a long time, and then I, I'll say something about something in the Word and go, where is that? I've never heard that before. I'm not saying you need to memorize the whole Bible at the, all at once. We're not Dan. <laughs> but many times we just, we don't know, and we assume that's Okay. We assume it's okay that we don't know. You know, there's only one way to know, and that's to go and find it. We can't say to God, well, I was busy. I just didn't have the time to get to know you. God's like, what were you busy with? I'm God. Everything that you were doing, I created You were in the world I created. You were in time that I created. What were you so busy with? Many times we bring things 
hard times, see, Saul welcomed a tormenting spirit into his life. He brought it into his life because he disobeyed God. Many times we get into areas and then we point our fingers at God, which God's grace and his mercy, he'll rescue. Who's been rescued every single time when we cry out? Of course he will. But we get ourselves into situations many times because we didn't ask God his will. Amen. It's making sense so far. Just want to quickly go to the book of Genesis. I want you to, this is something that we know. This is his word. Genesis chapter 2. Let's go right to the beginning. I love referencing. I love the story of God. I love God for God. I love him himself, but I love his story too. Who loves God's story? <laughs> it's an amazing story. It is not boring and it's not irrelevant. I'm tired of hearing that the word is boring, that the word is irrelevant. We don't need balloons. We don't need a party to have church. His word is life, which I want to, I want to try to get to. His word is life. It's alive. And the devil's a liar. Everybody say the devil is a liar. And he, what he's going to try to do is make you think that the word doesn't matter. He wants to discount. It doesn't matter how he does it. He can do it with foreign religions, false religions, false truths, close to Christianity, Christian science. Get something close and similar and then mix it up and all these other sects of, you know, Christianity or, or no God at all or just material, whatever. Anything to distort the purity and the truth of the word of God. That's his, his purpose. And here it is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what he, right at the very, very beginning, it says in verse 7 that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So verse 7, Adam's made. Here he is. Verse 8, the Lord planted a garden, and he placed the man he made in it. Verse 9, and the Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody say, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, everybody say, the Lord warned him, you may freely eat fruit of every tree in the garden. So the Lord told him what he can do. Maybe we should go back to verse 7. How come the Lord was able to do this? Let's see, verse 7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. Okay, so I made something, which means... I can use it, dictate it. I can take this pulpit that I made and I can preach from it or I can throw it out. I made it. You guys wouldn't be happy if I did that. But I made it. I'm the boss of it. Now, I'm not going to lord it over it. This thing takes good care of me, so I'm just going to treat it well. But I could if I wanted to. I'm not going to because I, I do care for it. This is just an inanimate object. This is, this is Adam and as we know the story, I just don't have time, but just quickly, you can read the verses for yourself. He made him because God wanted to, because God was looking for companionship. This wasn't just some tree. This was this living person. He put his own spirit in him. So in verse 17, when God said, verse 16, he says, you may freely eat. God had every right. Everybody say, God had every right to tell him what to do. He said, you can freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. You know, God, the little bit, people don't want to come to Christ. They want to get saved later on in life because they want to sow their wild oats first. God does not restrict you. He protects you. The little bit that he tells you not to do in verse 17 doesn't even compare to all that he's given you. You can eat of every single tree in the garden. Every single one, except, verse 17, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die or you will surely die. God gives way more than he asks of us. God's a giver. 
He gave his son, his one and only son. I mean, look at the picture of God. God is a giver. He's not a taker. If God asks something of you, it may seem like he's asking for the entire world in that moment, but it, you have to understand God. It is so small in, in comparison to what he's given you. It's not really even comparable. Gave him the entire garden. And I love this, verse 25. Now the man and the wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So God established him and they were shameless. In the protection of God, in the beauty of God, walking with God, knowing God, there was no shame. Until what? What happens? Chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, the devil twists the word. Do not be surprised, Christians, if the word is trying to be manipulated in your life. Genesis chapter 3, the devil came to twist the word of God. Don't be surprised if in your life, You're being bombarded with things to either just keep you out of the word altogether. Who's, who's had that? Come on, I'm, I'm raising my own hand with you. When I do this, I'm not asking you to raise your hands like I'm raising my own. I'm the first one. You're just being bombarded with stuff to keep you out of his word because it's the remembrance. It's the knowing. Sometimes like, I hate to pick on my kids, but you tell them to do something and like, well, you didn't tell me to do that. Well, Dawn just did it this morning. She scrolled back in the text and she left a list of things to do. Well, she was gone and it said right there, number one. Well, that particular child didn't take the time to go check the text. Come on. Now, who's right or wrong? Now, that particular child got grounded for not checking the text. And then he says, well, what did what I do? That's not fair. I didn't do anything. Then the classic parent says, exactly. That's the problem. That's the problem. You didn't do anything. <laughs> it's tough being a teenager, being an adult now having a teenager. Man, what a tough cycle. This is a tough cycle. It is, man. I feel for him, but I'm like, I'm sorry. It is what it is, man. You'll get it. One day, you're going to get it. I'd be the worst dad in the world if I don't teach you the right way. You'll get it. One day, to learn, to listen. God's word is God's word, and it's so good, and it's truth. Everybody say, God's word is truth. God's word is life. It says in Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent, who's the serpent? This is the devil. Okay, now he, we're calling him the serpent here, but we know clearly this is the devil. He was the shrewdest of all the wild animals and why he comes as an animal and all those things, that's another thing to try to understand, but he comes in the form of a serpent, right? But this is the devil, and it says that he had, it says, one day he asked the woman, did God really say? God said clearly. The devil will come and say, well, did God really say? What did God say? If we don't know, we have no excuse. We have literally a book so big that most people can't read it in a year of information. It doesn't have to be information. It's life. You have to understand that it's literal life. Who has read his word and watched the transformation happen from the inside out? It's actual life. It's not just text. But if, so, so that there is no excuse, at the end of the day, there is actual text that tells us yes, no, go, stop, etc. And the serpent came just as our flesh, just as all. He's trying to do the same thing. He wants to do this with the culture today. He's going to try to do this just with, with as, as cultures change and as times change and busyness. I mean, busyness is the greatest culprit of all. 
Everybody says sin, 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 and the world, 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 world is so corrupt. But I'm like, well, we have the greatest thing we can do is just slow down the busyness. You're in control. I'd say busyness is more dangerous to you as a Christian than pornography. Pornography is blatant, but busyness is subtle. Gets you just anything to get you out of the word of God. Anything to get you to start thinking and just figuring stuff out in your own mind. We're doing it all day. Who's calculating all day about everything? All day. All day. And who does it all night? Calculating how you're going to do this, this, and that. Just to get you out of his word, get you figuring stuff out. That's what Saul did. And again, I'm moving quickly here because... I have a lot, and I don't want you to be bored, so I'm just going to keep moving. And it says, it says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of the trees in the garden? Of any of the trees in the garden? Listen to this punk. He is a punk, you know. He is such a punk. Man, when, I, when someone gets hurt or offended, and it's like, he's just such a twister. Who's been offended at something that someone else said, and then you find out it's not even what they said? He's such a punk devil is such a twister, such a liar. He is a liar. And that's what the Bible, Jesus said, he's the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning, right here. Such a liar. Did he say you can't eat any of the trees in the garden? Of course not. He's going to get you questioning. Just tries to get you to question God's word. We try to question him. We try to, familiar, we try to figure it out. We say, I know his word says this, but it just doesn't make sense according to today's culture. In this particular area of my life, I just think I don't have to listen to the word. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to those people, but not me. She says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. You must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. In verse 4, it says, he says to her, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, it says, that she saw, or you may know it as she looked with her eyes, she beheld, she looked, she decided on her own, I know what God said, I know what God's word says. Remember, this is what Saul did. Saul said, I heard the word of the Lord, but I got a better idea. To me, this looks right. To me, this feels right. And it says that she saw it, and it was beautiful, and it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She wanted it. At the end of the day, most of the time (laughs) when we sin, I wanted it. There is the struggling and the wrestling. I don't want you to be condemned in it. But when you make that decision to sin, you have decided, well, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And it says that she ate of the fruit and she gave some to her husband and he ate it too. And at that moment, the devil didn't technically lie to her. This is what the devil does. He gives you a truth. Like this word, I've been saying it a lot recently because I just preached on it two weeks ago. The word love is being thrown out there. He takes a truth. God is love. I mean, it's the DNA we were made with. God is love. And he breathed into us. We are made with love. We are meant to love. Without love, we're nothing. And yet it's being thrown around in the world and can mean anything now. He didn't lie in the fact that what he told her, he just forgot to tell her the whole truth. Technically, their eyes were opened. Technically, they would become like God. He just forgot to tell her that death comes with it. To tell her that, well, you're going to lose the garden. You're going to lose some things. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt, everybody say that word out loud, they felt shame. Shame. 
inside of God. And, and it says, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I was thinking about this, you know, we cover ourselves with so many things, busyness being one of them. We, we, we get so busy that it's like, oh yeah, God. We cover ourselves with pleasures and joy, false joys and false happinesses and all kinds of things. We try to cover the heart, at the heart of it, the shame. Try to quiet the noise of shame and of, and of, of our need for God. It's really, it was the, it, the shame is a, they had connection to God that now they lost. And when we get into ourselves and into our strengths, that need starts crying out. And when we push God away, we feel shame and we try to cover it. We cannot cover it. And listen what it says in Genesis chapter 3. Are we doing okay so far? God loves you so much. Amen. Jesus loves you and preserved his word for you. And he's speaking his word to you right now. Truth, and it's setting us free. Come on, just be free. Let the life of the word free you today. Let it do something internally inside you today. It says in verse 17, chapter 3, to the man he said, since you listened to anything or anyone other than what I said. That's really what he's saying here. We're not blaming wives. Men, you can't blame your wives. <laughs> it's my wife that made me do it. Since you listened to what you wanted to hear instead of what I commanded you, there's a curse. God's word and God's way is protection. A heart after God is one that says, Lord, what do you want? What is your will? What is your will? And when we do anything outside of that will, we are opening doors to curses and to spirits, especially when you start professing Jesus. This is a very dangerous place, and I'm always concerned when I hear someone starts, they're close, they, they're getting close to Christ, and they start professing about Jesus, and even praying and testifying, and yet... They're not fully surrendered yet. It's a dangerous place, and that's exactly what happened to Saul. He was, this God had given him gifts, gave him abilities. He start, he's prophesying. He's been changed, and yet he wasn't fully surrendered, and it says a tormenting spirit came. Now, literally, the, the text literally says that God sent it, and, and, and that's possible. God's God, listen, verse 7 says God made us. He can do whatever he wants. And we cannot like God. It doesn't change that God's God. <laughs> but I actually believe that what it means is that God's hand of protection over us, just as the garden protected them, it was walled, protected them. And there was no shame. There was no naked. There was no nakedness. It wasn't like, oh, we're naked and we don't care. It's just that there isn't. It wasn't even an understanding. And when they disobeyed God, it brought on a curse. The devil is just itching to get at your life, and he can't when you stay in God's will. He can't. He may persecute you. He may accuse you and do things towards your life that are giving glory to Christ, okay? Don't be confused, but he cannot take anything from you. Whatever he takes in this world means nothing, right? Because we don't store in this world. We store in heaven where riches, right, cannot be stolen, where moth and rust cannot destroy and so on. So we are not touched by the enemy on this earth except for persecution, which is bringing glory to Christ, unless we get outside of his will and we welcome it. God's after our hearts because he loves you. 
he doesn't really, he, a, a parent doesn't want a child to do what's right because it's right. A parent wants the, the child to do what's right. I love you. This is what's right. And I hope you do it just because I love you. But at the end, if you have to go to that point, there is a point. There is a point where it's law. It wasn't law, it was love. But then there's a point where you're going to find that boundary, where you're going to find the edge of that love, which is law. And ultimately, that edge is not because I said so, even though we say that as parents, and God can do that too. It's because you are stepping into a dangerous place. Ultimately, that will destroy your life. Amen. Who's been there? Who's had to be rescued? <laughs> Who's been rescued many times by the Lord? Crossing those boundaries. Amen. Wow, God is so good, isn't he? He's so good to us. And, you know, thank you, Holy Spirit. can go so many places here. The devil's a quibbler. That's the word. My parents used to tell me that. You're quibbling. Anybody know that word anymore? It's an old word. Quibbling. Quibble. To quibble. It's to argue. But it's to twist. and It's to argue in a way that's like, well, you're, you're kind of bouncing around the truth. You're quibbling. You're not really saying anything. You're talking. But you're not giving me the yes or no. He's a quibbler. He twists. He gets into something similar, but it's not the word anymore. And in fact, it comes with serious consequences, even death. It says in Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they, who's the they? What's, what's, who's the they he's talking about? It's not a trick question. I know everybody's thinking you want to say it. That's us. That's us. We're the they. Everybody. Just like God made Adam, gave him the garden, he can see. We can see God in this world, in childbearing, in pregnancy. What an amazing thing. It's, you know, it's so funny. We get so weird about supernatural. We think it's like this ghosty, ghostly thing. But I think this is such an amazing thing. They're mentioning it today about having a baby. One day, we decide we're going to have a baby, and you have a baby. Tell me that's not supernatural right there. Like we get weird about supernatural, we get all scientific, but we can just create a baby whenever we want. A little mini us. It's quite supernatural. And so God said, you can clearly see. I mean, <laughs> can you not see God? These little angels, right, for 12 years. <laughs> and then tw after 25 I know. I'm so sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> and his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. You can know God, but not worship him as God. So there is a people that can know God, but not worship him as God. Or even give him thanks. I love that it puts that in there. Like, that's important. We can even, we can know God and even get to knowing, but like not be thankful. Like to realize Genesis chapter, that verse seven right there, right? Chapter three, verse seven. Two, verse seven. Like, I've been made by him. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And no matter what I'm doing, whether it's glorifying you or sin, I'm borrowing oxygen from you to do it. 
Thank you, Lord. It says, so they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a, this is a 2,000-year-old text right here, guys. 2,000 years ago, Romans warns, warns us that there's a church, there's a, there you can just make it up as you go along. That it's possible just to start making God up. And it warns us. It says they just began to think up whatever they wanted, what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. When we start to reinterpret God's word, reevaluate how his word applies in our lives, you know what happens? Confusion. Why is there so many sects of Christianity? Because they started trying to reinterpret and to touch the deity of God. Once we start changing, and I mean, where do we stop? If we just start deciding what is God and what's not God, where do we draw those lines? And I'll tell you, every single denomination has their own version of those lines. And then they just take out God altogether, like Mother of God, right? Who's been approached by Mother of God? There's only two mysterious verses, which aren't mysterious to me. When you really know the word, it's not mysterious, but there's two verses that allude to a woman in the Bible. Two out of a book, again, so fat that most people don't read it in their life, let alone a year is what I meant to say. And yet these two verses, they just create this whole new religion, mother of God. That's, I mean, that's literally their line. It'd be one thing to start talking and be like, hey, did you ever think about these two verses? I wonder what they mean. Okay, that's fine. But they literally come up to you and say, okay, you know about Father God. Have you heard about Mother God? Like, where did you get that from? <laughs> where did you get that from? I mean, why major on those? Forget the deity of Jesus Christ. Forget his blood. Forget him paying his price. Forget him being prophesied. Forget the whole story of, of how we, right off the bat, the devil tricked us and the devil got us away from God and, got, and Jesus is just trying to get us out of his grip. That's the whole story. He's trying to just get us out of the devil's grip. Just get us back to him. And they got a major on these two little minors, which aren't even minors to me. It says, because they began to think up their own ideas. In verse 22, they claimed to be wise. They claimed to be wise. Trying to trick you because of their, oh, no, I've never heard of it. That's why it's so obscure. The devil did it on purpose to try to trick you to think, wow, that's wisdom I've never heard of. And it says they instead became utter fools. Is this good today, guys? It says, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles and started making all kinds of gods. So they abandoned them. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Basically, just like Saul. It's like God didn't, God didn't make them believe in their false gods, but it's like, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. I have a better way, and my way is life. But if you can go and believe, I'm going to give you free will. I want you to love me because you love me. I want you to want me because you want me. I want you to believe me. To have This whole thing is about faith in God, the whole gospel. Jesus is who he is. The devil is who he is. And, and they've been fighting over you since the beginning of time. And the only thing that gets us out of the grip of the enemy and into the grip of God is what? Our faith. God doesn't do it automatically. It's, it's our decision to believe. Which means that we must keep believing. Everybody say, keep believing to the end. How foolish of us, I'm, and uh, this is just something that we can do. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody in here. I'm pointing myself. But how foolish of us to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in his word, but I don't care to know what it says. 
How do you believe in something that you don't know? Like, well, I know what happened inside me. Okay, you know what happened inside you. Because I'm pretty sure that the devil made Eve feel a certain way. I'm not negating your salvation. I'm not negating when you, if you went forward for prayer. Absolutely. I'm just saying, now go back to his word and let the Holy Spirit teach you which way is right and wrong. Amen. That makes sense. And it says they traded the truth. They did vile things and traded. You can keep going. I encourage you, go read Romans 1. It keeps going. And in verse 25, it says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Just want to close with this one last verse, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, So dear brothers and sisters, it says, Work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. So Jesus did something supernatural inside you when you believed. I mean, faith is it. Technically, that's it. Belief is really it. It's such a simple gospel. And yet, if I believe you, then I'll listen to you. That's really what believe means. I've said this before. The best analogy is I want you to just picture yourself. They open the door of the airplane, and you've got your parachute on. Okay? And you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to join with you. That's your parachute. Okay, now jump. Now, who wouldn't just check one more time? Make sure your straps are on tight. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think the children back there would say, I wouldn't jump. No, 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 it's safe. You can jump. Well, let me just make sure. I don't want you to question your salvation, question Christ. My point is, come on. If we would do that over something so just a jump out of an airplane. I say just because there's millions and millions. It's very rare that people do have accidents in that scenario. I'm not saying that I want to do it. I'm just saying just because like that. But we would check and check and check. We would make sure we got things right before we jumped out. And yet our eternity with Christ, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that once. Went down to the front of the church, said a prayer. Yeah, saved. Just make one more. I would just check those straps one more time. The point is, come on, guys, I don't want us to get in religion. I just want us to say, listen, Jesus did something. Ultimately, it's for your protection. And ultimately, it's, for, it's because of love and a relationship. But if you can't get any of that, do it for this. That he says, because... It says, do these things and you will never fall away. You will never fall away. And you can go on, you can read what he tells them there in Second Peter. But he says, he says, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. He says in verse 12, he says, verse 10, work hard to prove that you're really among them. And he says in verse 12, I always remind you about these things, even though, what's it say? You already know them, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Why? I'm going to remind you, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. That just took me off the hook for every sermon I ever preach. You guys can never say to me, I've heard this before. He tells us this every week because he said, I will always remind you about these things, even though, come on, church, come on, NNC. I'm standing here with you. I know you know it, and I know you're standing firm. I'm going to remind you anyway because that's what the word says. Why? Because then we don't fall away, because then the enemy can't grab us, because we stay in his love, because we stay close to him. And we have, then there's, real, there's no fear. I'm not doing that out of fear, but if anything, do it out of fear. Who got saved because of fear? 
<laughs> we want to get saved because it's love, but his fear is real. I mean, that, that ground is still real, guys. Come on. It's still real. And what we've done in this new time is we've given this, like, we've sold the gospel as such a, like, uh, a winning the lottery type of thing. You can just kind of take and then go with you instead of, we need to come back a little bit to like the ground is real there and know it's because of his love. We need to like tell, it, tell the truth. Okay. Be afraid, but not afraid of God. Does that make sense? And I have no fear because I've got the parachute of Jesus Christ on and I know it and I'm checking the straps constantly. I'm just making sure my life is lined up with him before I jump out of that door. He says, and it is only right that I should, verse 13, that I should keep on reminding you as long, come on church, get ready, as long as I live, I'm going to keep on reminding you. Why? Because it's so easy for us to get waxed and start taking it off. I don't want to start preaching another sermon. It says, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, verse 14. So verse 15, he says, so again, he says it a third time. I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Let's just stand. Lord, we thank you. We're not going to listen to the devil's lies. He's a quibbler. And we're not listening, Lord. We go back and say, okay, Lord, what did you say? And Lord, we're not sure what your will is. We don't do anything. We don't move, Lord, in haste, and we don't move in fear, and we don't move in worry, and we certainly don't move, Lord, in presumption. But we're a people, Lord, that goes to your word and says, Lord, what did you say? What is your will in this area? What is your truth? Not the world's, not my opinion, Lord. What is the truth? And I thank you, Lord, that when we do that, we are protecting, Lord, our own way. And Lord, in fact, we're also getting into that garden place, Lord, that place where you dwell, the place where we can have relationship and truly know your love for us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we just pray right now, Lord, everything in our hearts, everything that's not of you, everything that's been our own will and our own strength, Lord, and it can be so subtle, Lord, we just pray right now, Jesus, take it from our lives, and we just give you freely, Lord, everything we just say again, Lord. We say what we did, Lord, at the moment of salvation every day, which is, Jesus, take my life. I give you my life, and I give you this day, Lord. I didn't just make a promise once, but this day right now is yours. This is your day, Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to live, thank you, Jesus, in this day, your day, Lord, for you and with you, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus, that you help us do that. You don't leave us on our own. You are constantly reminding us, Lord, it is all around us. Your word says it, Lord. Those verses there, they say it, that your truth is all around us, constantly pushing us back towards you, pointing our eyes up to you, Lord. I pray that we would not cover our eyes and cover our ears, but we would listen and look to you, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that we truly will Lord, and thank you, and just pray this next year, Lord, we truly will have a year with you, Lord. 2019 can be a blessed year if we listen to you and trust you and walk with you. The Lord can and will, if you're, if you're willing, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus, if we're willing, you will bless us, Lord, in this year, because we're going to stay in your will, Lord, that place of blessing, that place of life, that place of peace, that place of joy, that place of hope, and it is only in your word and not outside of it in any way, even by the slightest. We just thank you, Jesus, give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.